it's really easy to get inside your head, let the fear take over. And so I used to have a a scarcity mindset. And so sometimes I see myself slipping back to that. First and foremost, I want to remind people that like, you have to be kind to yourself and you have to allow yourself to feel the emotion, but you can't sit in the emotion. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your business? Then welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast, helping home professionals and luxury brands accelerate their success with proven marketing strategies and expert industry practices. Now, here's your host, Darla Powell. Hey there, welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I'm your host, Darla Jethro Powell, the Grand High Poobah of all things here at Wingnut Social, a digital marketing agency for the interior design genre and adjacent verticals. Thank you for joining us. Today's guest, Lisa Gilmore of Lisa Gilmore Design, is going to tell us all about her journey on becoming a budding little baby interior designer fresh out of high school to having the multi-million dollar interior design firm that she has today. The steps and the journey that she took to get from there to here, and maybe some missteps along the way that you guys can learn from, have some takeaways. So be sure to stay tuned for that interview. Before I get into my chat with Lisa, though, I do have some housekeeping. So tomorrow, actually tomorrow, as I'm uh, recording this live on July the 28th at 11am, we're having our wingnut webinar for July on SEO, SEO tips, tricks, why you need ongoing SEO, Uh, you're going to get a lot of value out of it with our very brand new but amazing SEO manager, Gavin. So be sure to tune into that. It's free, free, free. And you can head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Check out the drop down for Wingnut Academy, Wingnut Webinars, bada bing, bada boom, register, and there you go. So that's wingnutsocial.com again. Well, Wingnut Academy, it's in the drop down for webinars. That is it for housekeeping. Now, I think you all know what time it is. Time for mini news, mini news sesh. Yeah. All right. So we at Wingnut have been telling you forever that video is on the rise. In fact, it took only took me three and a half years <laughs> to finally get over on YouTube and doing a video on the YouTube channel. And I have to tell you, we've already gotten clients from it. Isn't that amazing? I'm such a hardhead. Who knew? Well, everybody knew. <laughs> we even knew. I just didn't do it. So now we have some real feedback on how helpful video is for your business and being on video. But actually, where is the best place to put your video investment, your time? And we have some tricks here as well. So this is kind of a showdown, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Which do you think has the most impact for your video? Well, this might surprise you because TikTok's in the news, Instagram's in the news, but it's still YouTube coming out on top. And now, of course, YouTube has the shorts, that short ephemeral, say that 10 times content that we're using and uh, getting some traction with as well, also over on the YouTube. So here's how it breaks down with monthly active users. It does seem like TikTok has really taken over, but they're just the new kid on the block. But here it is. TikTok has 1 billion monthly users, right? So that's nothing to sneeze at and it's growing. Instagram has 1.5 billion monthly users. So Reels is must be working for them. But YouTube, 2.56 billion monthly users. So that's still the heavy hitter in the game there. So monthly usage, right? So let's talk about that. Monthly usage, YouTube is number one, but Instagram and TikTok actually just kind of swapped there. So we did see that coming. So as far as monthly users, right? Instagram had a bigger number, but people are spending more time on TikTok. And this is actually how the numbers break down. 
Instagram users are spending an average of 11.2 hours a month, and I'm sure Reels has helped them out there. TikTok, 19.6 hours a month. That's almost double for a new platform over TikTok. Just, yeah, that's pretty amazing. If you don't have a TikTok account, at least secure that real estate. Get your username over there, start fiddling with it, start playing around with it. And at the end of this mini news, I'll give you just a quick tip on how to do that. YouTube, 23.7 hours a month. And I admit I am one of those now. I used to be someone who didn't really care for video, but I'm on YouTube daily, not just doing video, but consuming video. I'm obsessed. So although there are more users on some of the other things, like Instagram and YouTube and TikTok is right there. And third on the users, the time spent is gold. You want to get in front of your audience. And you're like, Darla, I really just don't have time to be doing all this. Well, Instagram will penalize you for reposting a TikTok to their reels because they're favoring curated, you know, super, I made this just for Instagram content. But so far, as far as we know, the reverse isn't happening. Will it? Maybe. But you can take that same reel that you created on Instagram download the video, upload that to TikTok on that real estate that you carved out for yourself on TikTok with the business name. See what happens. Get started. You can do the same thing with YouTube shorts and repurpose them. That's what we're doing currently right now. When we get more data on how that's working out, we'll come back and report that to you. But so far, so good, right? You can reuse content, repurpose content. That seems to be a thing that just... Keep in mind, again, what I said about Instagram, they are kind of giving you a little papau for resharing stuff from uh, TikTok. So there you have it. There's the breakdown for video and it's uh, it's only getting more popular, more important for your business. So stop resisting. You will be assimilated and it will help your business. That's it for mini news. Mini news sesh. Yeah. yeah. Alrighty then, let's get into my chat with the fabulous and amazing Lisa Gilmore. But first, you all know the drill. I have to tell you a little bit about her. Lisa is based in St. Petersburg, Florida, and she was named by Architectural Digest as a leading designer of her region. And she's been featured in Forbes, Business of Home, Couverture, Better Homes and Gardens, amongst others. Her mantra is livable, Glamour, and she's recognized for her bold use of color and creating functional, one of a kind spaces. Lisa has over a decade of experience and is best known for the customized interiors she creates for large scale luxury homes in Florida and throughout North America. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Lisa Gilmore to the show. Hey there, Lisa Gilmore. Welcome to the show. How the hell are you? Hi, I'm so good, especially spending a Tuesday with you. <laughs> <laughs> right? What better way to spend your Tuesdays than with a wing night? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a way to not do the things that I'm procrastinating on. <laughs> this is basically the only thing I do, so I can't procrastinate. Nice. It. I'm, in, I'm in it to win it. So, so Lisa Gilmore, I've really been looking forward to this, this interview. You're a highly established successful interior designer. And I really love these interviews, these episodes with more established designers who have made a real hit in the interior design industry, because you have experience, you have the know-how, you have the lessons learned and the advice for those designers or architects out there listening to learn from your story. So we're just going to have a a sit down, good old fashioned, organic conversation with some of the lessons that you've learned, what you've learned to do right, (laughs) What you've learned to do wrong, I'm assuming there's some of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we're just gonna, right? And we're just going to dig in. So before we get started, just tell the audience briefly who you are, who you help, and um, 
we'll get started. Yeah. So as you said, I'm Lisa Gilmore and I started my namesake firm, Lisa Gilmore Design in November of 2011. So this is our, or I'm sorry, December of 2011. So this is our 10th year in business, which is exciting and freaking scary all at the same time. And it's funny because, you know, hearing you talk about being established and stuff, sometimes I forget to look at myself that way. Like, oh, I do know what I'm doing. I am established. And it's funny because we're in the phase right now where I can feel that we're like hitting our own glass ceiling. And I'm reminding myself of like, certain fears or discomforts of when I first started my business and what I'm feeling now with this next level that we're progressing to. So it's a really interesting time for this interview, I will say. But yeah, so anyways, I'm in St. Petersburg, Florida, and we do work all over, primarily in Tampa Bay region, but all over the place. We focus in residential, um, new construction and renovations. Renovations are my like soul. I recently got married in my personal life, which is super exciting. It's really awesome. And I split my time with my husband between Florida and Vancouver, British Columbia. So that's an interesting layer to life too. So yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. (laughs) So your husband is Canadian? He is. And we've been doing long distance for four years. And yeah, and like with COVID, it was hella crazy, hella hard. And so we finally were like, you know what, let's do this. And we got married. We planned a wedding in 19 days and we got married and we pulled it off and it's just been wonderful. So it's been about 90 days since we've been married. (laughs) Well, congrats. I'm going to assume he's nice like all Canadians. He is. He is. It's very true what you hear. The Canadians are so nice. And I have to say, if you're not watching our YouTube channel, if you're only watching this on the podcast, go check this episode out on the YouTube channel. It's designed by Wingnut Social. And so you can see Lisa's background. Is that your office? Where are you? It's really pretty. It is my office. Thank you. I'm happy you say that because right now our team, our staff is like growing tremendously. And I just added on two new members. And so now this used to be just my office, but I share it with a senior designer and then now my new director of operations. So it's like, we're all in here at once and I kicked them out for the podcast. (laughs) So now they're all, yeah, it's okay. So like there's kind of art piled in the back here. I'm like, oh, I hope this is good. (laughs) It's really pretty. I'm actually in the process of, uh, I'm going to paint my studio back here black. Oh, nice. There's such a shortage of painters. So yeah, I like everything else right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's dive in. So one of the things in the green room and in your pre-show interview that really just caught my attention was becoming a multi-million dollar level interior design firm. And that's hashtag goals for a lot of people listening in the audience. And um. Granted, there's going to be that one that it, it isn't, right? They just want to keep their, their business small and containable, I guess, for them. Is that a word? So you started 10 years ago, 11 years ago, right? Almost 11? 10 years, almost 11 years ago. Yeah. Almost 11 years ago. Okay. So just tell us briefly before we get into the nitty gritty, what were you doing before you started that? And how did you get into starting your design business? I am kind of a rare bird in the fact that when I was in high school, I knew that I was going to do something creative. I knew I was going to do something. I was raised in an artsy family. Like my mom made our Halloween costumes. My great grandmother was an art teacher. I just was always creating to some degree. And so being from a small town in central Florida, I thought, oh, I'll be an art teacher. I'll do something like that. And I quickly realized that I didn't have the patience for teaching. (laughs) And I'm really glad I realized that before I even like signed up for that education because I don't know why I realized it, but I realized it very quickly and I'm so grateful for that. 
I would be up late at night watching HGTV when my mom probably thought I was sleeping. And I discovered Candace Olsen's uh, Divine Design. That was like in what HGTV was like just in its good beginning kind of phases. It was just so different. And I used to stay up late at night and watch her do these rooms and all these things. And I was just so almost like mesmerized by the fact that like, I was watching this woman do these illustrations of these dreams in her head. And then I was watching her put these, you know, all these different textiles together and different things. And then it was like coming together. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can do that. I know how to visualize and stuff like that. So that's really what sparked interior design for me. And I went into um, design school right out of high school. I didn't change my major or anything. So I was really young. And so I got out of design school. I was like 21. I went like, you know, year round and stuff. And I worked for some designers in Lakeland, Florida, where I'm from. And then I got a job in 2009 in Chicago with a designer during the recession, which I look back at that time. And I'm just like, wow, like, how lucky was I like so many of my friends were trying to find jobs, everyone was struggling. And I fortunately landed a great job with a boutique firm that had a luxury client base. And I was able to learn those luxury skills that you often have to, it takes time, you know, to learn that aesthetic and learn that type of client and learn those things. So I feel very fortunate that my beginning of my career was uh, kind of in a little bit of a bubble in Chicago with her. And so then I ended up coming back to Florida and I started my company because I, I needed a job and I couldn't find a designer that I really felt like I wanted to work for. Not to say that there wasn't talented designers here, but after coming from Chicago and all the things I'd learned and like, I was just like, I was young. I was 24, 25 years old. I was like really digging in on my personal style as well and growing as an individual that I just couldn't find something that I felt like, yep, this is my design home. And so I started my business with a negative bank account and a horrible website and a like Word document business card. You know, it's mortifying to look at now, but also very proud. And that's how I started. And I would just go network, network, network. And my mindset was that like I was meeting people and I knew in my head that every person I met was not going to be a client. But my goal was every person I met, anytime they heard the word interior design, the second thing they thought was Lisa Gilmore. And so that was always my goals with networking. And it still is today. And that's here we are 11 years later almost. And I've got a staff of six um, and we are growing like crazy and, you know, it's it's a wild ride. <laughs> I love it. You know what I really love? One of my biggest things I took away from that was the fact that that's super impressive, but it's the tenacity and the fact that you knew what you wanted from high school. You went to school, you went to interior design. So many of my guests, and um, this is another discipline altogether, are doing interior design as a second career, right? Or they're coming, they're changing or they're midlife or a little bit later in life as a second career, but you just, that's it. That's you. That's what you've done. I really admire that. I mean, I'm 54. Thank you. I'm 54 and I'm still not sure what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> so. It's interesting, like both sides of that story, like you're talking about, and like both sides have pain points, you know, like the person that has the courage to leave their career and start a second career is that takes so much. It's huge. Like it's, there's so much like unknown there. And I admire people that do that. And then on the other side of the coin, someone like myself who started so young, I had to do so much extra work to prove myself because I was so young, you know? And so it's like each side of the coin has a different factor. 
You said you were fortunate to have found a boutique interior design firm to work for during the recession, you know, 2000, mm-hmm. 2009, aside from being fortunate and having a, a job there, right? How important do you think it is to work for another established interior designer to get those chops? I mean, if, if you were to go back and do it all over again, would you have just put out your own shingle or? Heck no. Yeah. That's one of my things, like, you know, especially now because, you know, the housing market and how everything's going, like interior design, home renovation, the home space, it's, we've been so busy. And I was actually just at a networking event that I was on a panel for and I, kind of was taken back because there was six interior designers in the room. And I said to the the crowd, I was like, guys, like, this is crazy. Because when I was starting networking, I was the only interior designer in the room. Like, it was rare to be an interior designer. And now it's a common trade, which is exciting. But with that being said, there's so many people that are just like jumping out because they're hungry and ready to go, which I commend and I love. But there's nothing you can compare to learning on someone else's payroll. <laughs> like you learn from their mistakes, you learn from their celebrations, you see client interactions, ways of like having your systems in place, you know, like and you're going to take things from different parts, you know, and then make things your own too. I highly recommend it too. I mean, I just I jumped out on my own. I didn't work for anyone else. And mostly it was because I didn't have the training or the education to do that. Instead, I just started my own business and hired people who did have that. But uh, which is also a great way to do it. Yeah, it is right. It's a kind of a, a shortcut. But I would highly recommend even if you're starting uh, as a second career to just go in there and get a feel and see if you really even like it first. Because I, I would tell you, it's not that I didn't like it. I love interior design, but I made so many mistakes just learning the hard way. And when I could have learned from someone else and so mm-hmm. speaking of learning and mistakes, we'll, we'll get to the mistakes part. So I'm sure there were some, maybe there wasn't, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe an anomaly. <laughs> oh, yeah. you are now a multi-million dollar interior design firm, right? So walk us through that journey and when, when and how that you accomplished that. Oh my goodness. So first I just have to say that sometimes like when I hear people say that to me, I'm like, oh my God, that is me. Like, <laughs> like this is crazy. Like, how do we get here? But a lot of hard work, you know? And so to kind of put a little like history behind that, I, um, like I said, I grew up in a small town in Florida in a blue collar family, hard workers. I, had enough, but I didn't have a lot growing up. And so money was always something that I didn't talk about, I wasn't comfortable with, and things like that. And so whenever I started my business, I I, I, I did my best to avoid those conversations. And that was troublesome later down the road. And so I would just focus on design, focus on the clients, focus on the design. And as you know, like Luanne Nigera says, like your passion only gets you so far. And so it really became a point where it was just this rat race and I was tired, you know, and like the unknown and like the being scared of money and understanding my finances for my business it got to a point where I just had to, I could not ignore it anymore. And um, at the time I was previously married, I was going through a divorce and I was like really having to stand on my own and I, I couldn't. And so that forced me to look at my business as what it really could be and that it wasn't just this little dream anymore. This is like a real living, breathing thing that was going to be my livelihood alone, but then also my team that I already had and the future team that I wanted. And so really, you know, it took me getting uncomfortable with money. It took me understanding our margins and profits. And that's something I'm still learning. Like that's something that is always changing too. And also just 
having confidence with the conversation of money. And once I really got my head out of the sand and started doing like the profit first modules and things like that, it was pretty amazing how much my confidence grew as a woman, as a female leader, as a business owner. And finally, like when I was sitting at the table with these clients who were very, very wealthy people, I wasn't intimidated anymore. I understood. I was like, I understand how you became wealthy. I understand why this is an investment. And now I'm able to sit here with confidence and provide services for you and do a great job, make a great living and you know, help my clients and my team and stuff like that. So really, it was like, it was a mental state, you know, I actually went through something similar. I had a divorce. And I had my head in the sand when it came to money as well. And uh, because she was controlling all the finances, um, not always well. (laughs) And I worked with uh, Michelle Williams of Scarlet Thread Consulting as a business coach. Yes. It was very uncomfortable. It was, there were tears involved. It's so uncomfortable. Tears and whiskey, like, it's so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it was so uncomfortable. But I learned so much. And now I I go, I have a spreadsheet with all of my profit margins, you know, and everything. So I'm way more in it to win it than I was before. You can't keep your head in the sand. So Wingnut Social is a digital marketing agency for interior designers and architects and to the trade home furnishings. And we do a pretty damn good job on behalf of our clients, if I do say so myself. But you know what? Don't just take my word for it. Listen to Julianne Hendrickson of Hendrickson Interiors out of Tampa, Florida. Hi, I'm Julianne Hendrickson with Hendrickson Interiors. I've been a Wingnut Social client for almost two years now. I'm so thankful for Wingnut. When I first started using Instagram myself for my personal business, I didn't know who my core audience was, and I didn't know how to use all the special features on Instagram. Wingnut Social is an expert in doing both things. They have taken my social media and they have made it something that I could not have done myself. I am so thankful and have no intention of not using them for a very, very long time. Thank you so much, Julianne. We love having you as a Wingnut Social client, and we're so happy to see all of the success that you've achieved over the past two years with us. So if you guys want to achieve some similar success with your digital marketing for your interior design firm, your architecture firm, or your to-the-trade home furnishing situation, give us a call at 786-206-4331 or check out the website, wingnutsocial.com. That's wingnutsocial.com. Just hit that let's chat and let's see how we can help you. Some of those things you learned, right, once you made those uncomfortable choices, or I guess when you started looking at some of that discomfort and owning, you know, your responsibility and and making the money and spending or or what have you. So what are some of the things that were involved? What were you charging then? Were you raising your prices? Were you doing hourly? Did you go to flat fee? What are some of the structural changes that you made to start bringing in that extra income to get you to where you are now? So that's a great question. And it's so funny because the whole like flat fee versus hourly conversation is such a hot topic. And I feel like it goes through cycles. Like at one point, everyone will be hourly. Another point, everyone's flat rate. And so I was flat rate and I went to hourly. And the reason why I did that is because I was not uh, tracking my time and managing my time properly to have the data to be able to figure out the appropriate flat rate if that makes sense. And so I was like, we need to kind of take this back and go hourly. And then on top of that, I also wasn't being a confident leader in the fact that I wasn't confronting my team about how to build their time better. 
I looked at it as like micromanaging and as a bad thing when really I should have been looking at it as empowerment for my team, empowerment for my company, empowerment for myself. And so honestly, a lot of it that happened was I I did give us a raise. I raised our hourly rate to $275 an hour. I did a higher retainer upfront because I felt like clients just need a bigger skin in the game because everyone's investing here. And then I just really got down to like press tax for our time management and our time billing. And that really was the one thing I will say without hesitation that turned our business around where we could have been suffering for a long time and we were able to dig ourselves out quickly because the beautiful thing about what we do is we are a service industry. It is a very lucrative industry. And if you really allow yourself to get uncomfortable and get dirty with it, you can turn your mistakes, your financial mistakes around quickly if you really you know, hold on to that. So fortunately, that is what happened for us. And then also, I looked into like, where we were doing our sourcing from and stuff like that. And like, kind of considering that and one thing like I also use like antiques and things in my designs. And so it's really important for me to I don't ever want clients to feel like I'm showing them something because I have a bigger margin or you know, on one thing versus another. So that's why I do heavy with our design fees, because I want our clients to always know that they're just getting our our best design forward and they're paying us our time and talent and service. And then like the furniture sales, I kind of view as like icing on the cake. Like that's for our extras. That's for working on our branding. That's for doing a team retreat and, you know, stuff like that. I like that. And that probably solves a lot of hassle and and complaints uh, that you don't have to deal with from clients. Because what I've seen a lot in the Facebook groups for interior design is uh, interior designers are getting a lot of pushback when they're selling furniture on their margins, or if they're selling at retail, or even just a little bit below retail and and clients Mm -hmm. are, let me, I want to see exactly what you paid for it, which you shouldn't. No, absolutely not. You don't walk into Publix and ask them how much they paid for that pair you're about to buy. I've actually said that to clients before, whenever they get that way. First of all, that's a huge red flag to me. Like that is something that trust isn't there. And if you don't have trust from your client, you're going down a road that you are not going to enjoy, you know? And so if that happens, I always just tell clients, I'm like, listen, like, do you go to Nordstrom and ask them for how much that Alice and Olivia skirt was that you just bought? Like, no, you don't. You bought it because you love it. And so you have to respect my business, you know? (laughs) Exactly. So if most of your front end heavy with the design fees and, and that work, which is I love, how much, what percentage of your business picture is the furnishings and the accessories, et cetera, would you say? So that's something we're actually kind of diving into right now and kind of putting under a microscope just because of like the climate of how things have been lately and like the supply chain issues and we're all battling and stuff like that. And so I would say it's it's a definitely a healthy percentage. I don't, I can't say off the top of my head right what it is right now because <laughs> there's just a lot swirling up there in that realm, but it is a healthy percentage. And I would say that 90% of our clients do end up purchasing furnishings and drapery and all that stuff through us. And of course, we encourage it. We want to see it to fruition. So I would say it's a large portion of it. So it does definitely... And and that's the thing too, like a lot of designers think, and this is such a frustrating conversation for me, they're like, oh, it's double dipping if you're doing both. I'm like, what are you crazy? Like, no, it's creating a profitable company. And another on top of that, like, we charge our hourly late to price and procure and do all of that. And my client, and some of my friends will be like, well, you know, I'm making money off the furniture. I don't think it's fair to price it. And I'm like, well, you're building a budget for them and you're doing it all and you're ordering it. So yeah, they're paying you to 
do that for them, you know? So I wish that people would get that whole double, double dipping thing out of their head, you know? Plus they're going to pay for the furniture anywhere from somewhere else who's going to make just as much or more. (laughs) Probably a disgustingly amount more. (laughs) That's a mindset issue. And I'm I'm imagining that the other designers who have said, oh, that's double dipping, I wouldn't do that are not in the multi-million dollar range as well. So agree. Agree. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have to look at it from a mindset that you're helping the client, right? And you are. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's just a money mindset. And and you and I both, just from what we've spoken about here on the podcast, have are overcoming some of that, right? Honestly, I've become really frank with clients when we have that conversation. And I just tell them, I'm like, listen, it's really black and white and pretty simple. And you need to think about it this way when it comes to your time billing. We are a luxury. You are choosing to do business with us, which is great. And we're so thankful and we're so excited. But I need you to realize that everything that we are doing on your project you are going to be paying us to do for you. We are doing this for you. And so once they like, I say that, you can see the light bulb turn on. They're like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I pay someone to walk my dog because I don't want to do it. So sure, if I don't want to order all my bedding, I'm going to pay someone to do that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and I like that. I love that you say that. So if you're listening out there and you're struggling with what to tell your client, there you go. Okay, so it hasn't been all straight up growth and roses and and rainbows and unicorn farts, right? (laughs) You did have some moments right here. And in fact, in uh, the green room, there was a financial rock bottom was the phrase. Yes, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, what you learned from that and how you recovered. I don't know if you remember this because we were both at Luann Niagara. It was that year that you emceed oh, yeah. in Luan New Live. Jersey. I do remember. Luann Live. Yeah. And so I had told my story and then it's like taken off like wildfire, which is crazy. Like I have no idea. Like I look back at that time at the conference and I was like, what came over me? Why did I, why did I just like pull my underwear drawer open and tell everyone all my financial struggles? It was like, it was such a safe space that Luann like cultivated, you know, and it was just like, ah, here's my problems. But now it's turned into this crazy thing. And here I am on podcast with you. And like, I've turned that like embarrassment into empowerment to help other people. So for the people that don't know what we're talking about, basically, I was going through a divorce, as we had said, and I was on this whole eat, pray, love sabbatical. And I went to Africa. And it was amazing. It was honestly an experience that like, I will never forget in my life. And It was just one of those things that it was just like a situation of so many multiple bad events, plus bad financial management, plus lack of confidence. All these things just came into this perfect storm. And I was in South Africa and I logged onto my bank account and I was like completely broke. Like a client's check bounce, a client that was holding a refund for a sofa for like four months to cash the check. I had like payroll come out. I had like all these things. And it was like, I called it my cluster F account (laughs) that like came out of there. And then it was gone. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like this is bad. This is really bad. And thankfully I never got into financial trouble with like client product. It was my own personal (laughs) crisis, you know? So I am really grateful that I never went that deep. But anyways, I had to call my mom to pay for my rent because I was like so broke. And so that was the moment that I realized like, okay, you know, the Instagram reel is all pretty. Everyone thinks you're so successful, which you are technically, but you have no financial means to show it. Here you are crying in Africa. Like it's time to get your life together. Like this has got to change. And so that's when I came home to Florida. I called 
my best friend, who's also my business attorney, and she introduced me to the profit first situation. And so that was truly the profit first. And if someone's not familiar with it, and if you're a designer and struggling with finances, like I can't emphasize how amazing of a process it is because I'm so visual and it's like putting those monies into the buckets, into the accounts and having that routine every Friday when I do my finance Fridays, it was such a life-changing thing. And so that really is what turned the financial crisis around. <laughs> I love it. I'm actually interviewing Mike Michalowicz on Thursday. Oh, that's awesome. His episode will air in a couple of weeks. So stay tuned to that. He's amazing. Oh my gosh. You know, it's so weird. This is the second podcast that I've been on that I talk about this and the, the host is like, oh, I'm interviewing him next week. And I'm like, wow, can you please tell him thank you for me? <laughs> I will. I'll say Lee. Who's this Lisa Gilmar girl that I keep trailing behind and she's saying thank you? Like, maybe I'll meet him one day. <laughs> I will. Okay. I don't mean to derail you. So, okay. So that's pretty rock bottom when you're having to call your mom to pay your rent. So some of the things that we've spoken of before, raising the rates and charging hourly, is that what- That happened? all happened afterward. How long did it take to recover from that? I would say it was a solid three to four months of like, holy, oh my gosh, like, you know, this is, this is a mess. And like I said, thankfully, we are in a lucrative business. Thankfully, I have not ever had a shortage of clients, uh, which I'm so grateful for. So I was able to come home, leave my friend's dining table from the, you know, the, the profit first and all the crying and tears and like go into the office, put my head down and be like, okay, this is changing now. And so I was able to really implement it quickly. And it took like a, and I always tell people when they're going through some kind of a change, whether it be a financial change or making business change, like it takes a good solid three to four months and it's painful and you got to keep talking yourself through it and reminding yourself. And so I got us out of the debt in like the four months. I was able to start saving money, which was something I never did before with my business because I, I didn't have control of it. And so from there, it just kind of kept growing and it's easy to see it grow whenever you're being diligent with it. I love it. And that's some, something as what, that we have the parallel with as well. I wasn't, I never had control of the money in the business before my divorce or before. And now that I do, it's, it's a whole different ball game and I'm, I'm grateful for it. Would you agree with that about like the three to four months? Yeah. Well, with me, maybe six. <laughs> but yeah, because I still struggle. I might buy too many action figures. I don't know if you can see in the, the background, but I have. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> My problem is shoes. Yeah, right. Shoes or purses. Okay. So keeping the money in mind and keeping the financial health of your business in mind and where you're at now, Lisa, with the multi-million dollar situation, you have six employees, you're revisiting your furniture sales, you're just growing. You're growing at a, at mm -hmm. a terrific clip. What are you doing to cushion or to prepare your business for the coming maybe recession, light recession, or for this 9.1% inflation? Have you started to take a look at that? Yeah, I have been. And you know, it's one of those things that it's really easy to get inside your head. You know what yes. I mean? It's really easy to let the fear take over. And so honestly, over the past couple of weeks, I've been doing a lot of kind self-talk because I am human and I'm able to go down that rabbit hole. And, you know, I used to have a, a scarcity mindset. And so sometimes I see myself slipping back to that and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all going to be gone. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, what are you crazy? It's not going to be gone. Like yeah. you still have new business coming. You still have people calling you have an amazing team. So first and foremost, I want to remind people that like you have to be kind to yourself and you have to allow yourself to feel the emotion, but you can't sit in the emotion. So that's number one. 
so that's something that we're kind of working on right now because I, I hired a director of operations last year because I was so overwhelmed with the business side and like the my creative side was dying. Like I almost couldn't recognize myself as a designer. I was just so depleted and it was such a horrible like mental, emotional and creative space to be in. So with that being said, we've already kind of been starting these, which is why I was like, oh, it's kind of hard to talk on that specific thing right now because we're like such in a dive mindset right now with that. To answer your question, I don't have a perfect idea yet. I'm trying to kind of think of that. I am already starting to see some clients are like tightening up things or, you know, a couple of new business meetings may have canceled or postponed or put it off a little bit just to kind of see it out. And I think that's natural and to be expected. So I just tell my team, like, make sure we're being diligent with our time billing. When we are sourcing things, try to be mindful of timing if we can to keep people happy. Because again, at the end of the day, when it comes to luxury, it's all about experience and Thankfully, like the luxury space does survive recessions. So I'm really kind of tapping in there. And this is an area where I was talking about my growth because it's really a weird time for us because with this looming recession talk is also my business is growing. So it almost feels like they're just like, you know, contradicting each other. And it's really hard and overwhelming to like think about that. And so I'm really focusing on breaking through my own glass ceiling and getting to that level and really trying to just be smart and be frugal. That's another parallel for me at Wingnut. So my business is really growing really fast. And then there's a coming recession. But our agency does uh, serve more of the luxury designers or the high end luxury because of the, the level of work that we do and the nature of our work. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about my marketing agency right now for a recession is that the opportunities for positioning as an interior designer, if lesser interior designers or smaller firms are pulling back their marketing budget, which you shouldn't do. If you double down your marketing budget or at least stay the same, your marketing budget, you're going to make so much more progress in comparison to your competition during that time that but when the recession or what have you is over, you're going to be so much far ahead of the competition. I don't, I had an episode with Kate O'Hara who did just that for Martha O'Hare and Terriers. And they just, they grew in leaps and bounds because if people were pulling back their marketing budget, which is, again, it's counterintuitive, but you shouldn't. She doubled down on her digital marketing budget and um, just, it's crazy. And what I'm seeing is that too, is as people are slowing down a little bit, more people are coming to us to help market their businesses on digital because they're not getting as many overflow word of mouth or referrals or people just falling down over to, you know what I mean? Hire them. So but I also have that scarcity mindset <laughs> and the yeah. kind talk and, and talking to yourself. And I think, I think that's super important. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Another thing I also want to add to that is something that I've kind of rediscovered and also going back to the basics from when I started my business was realizing the pond that you are currently in and where you want to go. So I've kind of been realizing like I'm outgrowing my pond, meaning like I want bigger projects. I want, you know, more affluent clients and stuff like that. And so I was like, wow, like I really have to get uncomfortable with being the underdog again because I want to go to that next level of luxury where I'm at the bottom and I'm working my way up. And 
another thing is like in-person networking events. Like those were taken away because of COVID and we got so comfortable with the digital space, which is great, but I'm pushing myself to find those networking events. And like last week I went to one, it was called like Women in Wealth. And it was like how to like diversify your funds for wealthy women. I'm like, this sounds great. I'm going to go. I'll be the underdog, but that's okay. And I'm there and they're like talking about getting like multiple streams of revenue. And they're like, a great way to do that is to purchase a yacht or a private plane and then charter. I'm like, Oh, 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 I am really the underdog here. <laughs> I was like, you guys are all thinking about buying planes? Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like just this tiny minnow in this luxury pond last week. And I was like, this is so uncomfortable. And I'm like, uncomfortable is good. Uncomfortable is good. Uncomfortable is good. I'm going to meet some great people. <laughs> That's how you grow. Yep. All right, Lisa Gilmore, thank you for sharing your journey with us. Now I have to ask you, are you ready for the What Up Wingnut round? Yes. Now it's time for What Up Wingnut. Wingnut. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? Livable glamour. <laughs> You're stuck on a deserted island, but you can have your one favorite food forever. What's it going to be? Pizza. Love it. Last but not least, please recommend a book that has impacted you either personally or professionally. This is a hard one because I'm not really a reader. So I'm going to say masterclass. I love watching masterclasses and Sarah Blakely's uh, masterclass on entrepreneurship. It was life-changing for me. Really? Okay. I actually have a membership to that. My good friend, Jerry Cerruti, bought me that for Christmas and I have to check that out. I highly recommend her episode. Sarah Blakely, she created Spanx. And one thing that I take with me every day is the best thing you can do for your business is to hire your weakness and watch that soar. So I always remind myself of that. I love it. Lisa Gilmer, please tell the audience where they can go to find out more about you and we'll call it a day. Yeah, um, my website, lisagilmoredesign.com. I'm also on Instagram at lisagilmoredesign, super active on there. And that's about it. All right, Lisa Gilmore, thank you so much for joining us. It was so great seeing you again. Hopefully we'll see each other again in real life at one of these things. <laughs> now that COVID is going down, I hope. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you for your time and all you do for the industry. Uh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Lisa Gilmore. I love hearing the individual stories from interior designers and the journeys that they took to get from there to here, and maybe mistakes or triumphs that they've made along the way. And I'd like to think in some small way that that's helping you out there to either recreate some of that success or avoid some of the failures or mistakes that were made. I certainly hope that you found it helpful. So if you did enjoy it, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from or on YouTube, because it really does help interior designers to find this content and to help them out as well. So I appreciate that. A little bit of a thank you from me to you for your help with that. I am so weird. All right. Remember, we'll see you tomorrow at our SEO webinar on how to outrank your interior design competitors. Head on over to wingnutsocial.com. Check out the uh, drop down under Wingnut Academy to register for that for free. You're going to really find that chock full of information that's led by Gavin, our SEO uh, manager over there at Wingnut Social. And uh, Rising Tide Lifts All Boats. I know that we are all one big happy loving family as an interior design community, and that's how it should be. But at the end of the day, business is business, and you do want to know how to show up on the Googles on digital so your ideal clients can find you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, wingnutsocial.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you. Remember, until next week, remember to get out there, get uncomfortable and be great. 
Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next week for more business and marketing info and insightful interviews with industry experts and design superstars. Can't wait? Then head on over to wingnutsocial.com for more great content to help you get your business to the next level. No, I'm forgetting something. Oh, at the end of every episode, we have bloopers. Okay. Are you okay to be in them if you make any? Yes, that's fine. My guests never make bloopers, so it's always me. Having a design firm were, uh, who, that, that, beep, 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 beep. hold on, hot flashing. Hot flashing, check it and see. Hot flashing, it's 103. Good boy, Mango.